0: Hello all you Reinventors, this is Leslie Jane Seymour and I am the founder of CoveyClub.com and of this podcast and I love to talk about reinvention and today, man, I have what the ne plus ultra of Reinventors for you, a very old friend of mine and a work colleague who I didn't, I mean, I didn't even know all her history. So I'm so thrilled to have had some time to talk to her. Uh, She was um, the art director of Vogue when I came in as a lowly writer. And she was always kind and she was always thoughtful and she would always give you extra things to do if she could see that you could do more than whatever it is you were given to do at the time. She's just an amazing person, a Fabulous uh, mentor, inspirational person. And here, I'm just gonna give you a quick shot of her background, because we can't get into all of it in the conversation. Um, She was a design assistant at New York Magazine, where she met Gloria Steinem and became the founding art director of Ms. Magazine giving a big megaphone to the women's movement. She went on to art direct Harper's Bazaar and in in 1972 joined Condé Nast, where she was Vogue's art director under editorial director Alex Lieberman and put the first African-American Beverly Johnson on the cover. At Condé Nast, she met a young Calvin Klein and in the mid 70s, founded his in-house advertising agency, CRK. As president and creative director of the agency, she pushed the limits of female sexuality with the Brooke Shields, Nothing Comes Between Me and My Calvins commercial. In 1993, Rochelle was named vice president of creative marketing, new media at Condé Nast. And in 1995, Rochelle was named editor-in-chief of Self Magazine. Now she's, and there's so much else. I, I We would be here for an hour running through all of it. But what she's working on now, which is really why I brought her to the podcast is what a pod, it's a uh, website called Adventures of the Baker's Daughter, where she goes into basically her memoir of growing up, who she is, how she's motivated, and you will find so much business advice, so much inspiration, and so much honest talk from somebody who has lived the high life, seen it all, done it all, and Here she is, the wonderful, fabulous Rochelle Udell. Rochelle, I am so tickled to have you on the podcast. You were somebody I always admired, and I still admire all the things you do. And I'm just so excited about what your new project is. Thank you for being here.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor, actually, to meet everyone.
0: So let's talk a little bit very briefly because you have the most incredible history. So we're going to try to squeeze it into so people know who you are and what you've done in your past. Just give us a quick survey of where you grew up and what you did in publishing and in the fashion world. You can just even run right through it. It is literally everybody listening should know this is like the, you know, superstar directory (laughs) of my my whole growing up basically. So go ahead, Rochelle, tell us okay. your, a little bit of your history.
1: Born in the Bronx, a uh, first generation in this country. Uh, we, were, we moved uh, to middle-class Brooklyn. Uh, and because I came from a uh, first generation background, a lot of the people that I grew up with were very uh, aspiring and upwardly mobile. I came from a, a neighborhood that that grew doctors, lawyers, and certified public accountants. Um, And I came from a background where my father was a baker. So it was a matter of both integrating the great values that my family had and the aspiring values uh, from the education in the neighborhood and the culture that surrounded me. And those things have always affected me and have always been in my mind as I move through various jobs, and I have started and restarted my work life and my personal life millions of times out there. I've reassembled those pieces, but always taking with me the background of the culture I grew up with and the intimate relationship and values that my family had. So I started life as a school teacher at Cheapside Bay High School in Brooklyn, New York and was married to a man who was a graphic designer and decided to take a night school course with a guy by the name of Milton Glaser, who no one knew who Milton Glaser was at the time. For those of you who don't know, he's the guy who did I Heart New York that became I Heart Everything on the Planet. And from there, I started uh, at New York Magazine when it was grown out of the Herald Tribune. We started Ms. Magazine while I was there. It was an insert in New York Magazine. I and didn't, know, there, that. Yep, I didn't yep, know that. I didn't know oh. that. 1971, the end of 1971. This was pre-Rome v. Wow. wow. And we ran a petition of 40, 52 women who said publicly, including Gloria Steinem and Billie Jean King, that they had had abortions. And this was pre-Roe v. Wade. and was very important that this was done. From there, I went to Harper's Bazaar for a short while uh, because 35 of us were fired one day when there was a corporate takeover. And I was picked up immediately by Condé Nast Vogue magazine and became the art director... Of uh, of that magazine and spent 22 years at Condé Nast in various jobs, so moving around from job to job within the company. But I also left Condé Nast and came back. Um, I left to start Calvin Klein's in house agency, and then I was brought back to Condé Nast, which is a publishing company because I love publishing. And then um, was uh, editor in chief of Self. I started their uh digital company called CondiNet with Epicurious. Uh, I started their Japanese company. I'm trying to remember it's all the- unbelievable. And then I I left again. I went to Revlon. Revlon needed help. I worked there for 6 years. Came back to Nas, started womensweardaily.com. And because I was interested in branding uh-huh. and um and and seeing where where the world was going digitally. Now Technically, I am a techno boob. I know nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We can relate. Uh (laughs) But I understood how people were using the technology to communicate. And I'm interested. I'm very interested in what people are talking about and how they're talking about delivering that conversation to one another. So that is sort of um, the big, the, come of, some of the big highlights in my background to where I am now, uh, living in Westchester and working
0: on uh, community projects. Uh, does that give you a sort yeah. of- Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the adventures of the bakersdaughter.com <laughs> And why did you start to, What? let's explain what it is and then why you started it. Um, the
1: adventures uh, started originally as a book. And oh, it did. It, it okay, it did start as as a book, and it was a book that um, didn't come together probably as clearly as it could have. And that's in part because I did so many different things at different times. And it's a website, it's a digital memoir, so to speak. Yes. So you go there and it's in several parts. One is a personal part of how you how I grew up. An important part of that is studying with a man by the name of Fernando Flores, who was the Minister of Finance in Chile under um, Allende, and then he was put into prison. This is a political thing. I don't think you need too much detail on it, but he was released through the efforts of Amnesty International. And when I was at Vogue, one of the things that we did do was we supported We supported people who were threatened politically, uh, whether they were in Russia or they were in Peru or Chile or whatever, through Amnesty International, and that's how I became familiar with it, um, because Vogue is international. Um, and one of the things that I did when I was, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to the Baker, to the adventures of the Baker's Daughter in a Center second. But one of the things that I did that might be interesting for, for your audience is, is uh, I took it upon myself to create a report of what it meant to be to work in Vogue. What does Vogue mean? And what does Vogue mean in the United States? Is it different in Italy? Is it different in France? Is it different in Great Britain? Is it different in China? And so that I got involved in branding. And this was as a result of just simply working on a political thing that was international. I became very, very interested. In and I did this of my own volition. No one asked me to do it. Mm-hmm. And I presented that to the head of our publishing company, Mr. Newhouse. And because of that, he asked me to uh start his business in Japan. They had tried for 15 years to start that business. And I would got I had the privilege of being able to do that with the then president Bernie Laser because of my interest in international branding and that happened because of uh, following an interest that i had which i think is important for your audience to get a feeling of back to adventures of the baker's daughter so uh, because i played so many different roles over time and and uh, along that journey learning more and more about what i liked, didn't like what my skill set strengths were, what their weaknesses were, where where I could make a contribution um, going forward, I decided that because of the complexity and the linking between things that a digital output would be perhaps the best way to tell my story, to also be able to tell it if I wanted to put in video or sound, yeah. Yeah, Uh, so that I made it a totally experiential thing. And if you look at the beginning, the head, the the header on Baker's daughter, it says the adventures of a baker's daughter. And then the word Baker's daughter keeps changing. It says the adventures of a guilty mother, the adventures (laughs) of, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, a reluctant style person, the the adventures of a techno boob, is it really, because no one is any one thing. Right. And the digital world allowed me to be all the things I've been and can always be updated and can always be changed and added to, and people can contribute to it as well. So that's the reason I chose to do it in that format, which was a
0: ton of fun to do. And are you always adding to it, or do you feel like it's done? I mean, I, I figured maybe it was also so you could keep changing the modules, yep. and adding new things rather than it being a finite kind of story.
1: Yeah, well, it it is it, it's perfect. It's exactly what you said. Um, I uh, blog approximately once a week, and that blog goes into as of now. It's a, there are four sections in in the. Uh, adventures uh, website and the first section is in my dna which gives you my background the section two which is uh, me running away from my first marriage a picture of a runaway bride uh, it's really about fitting in and where did I belong and finding my place so to speak and that's the name of the section the third section is a pair of Manolo Blahnik high heels Uh, And it's really my professional life. Uh, And I tell you what I went through. And the last section is the blog section as of now. And each section has in it uh, parts of what was happening culturally at the time. Because culture informs us so powerfully. Uh, Sometimes uh, in a way that we're not completely understanding. It contributes to our opportunities. It contributes
0: to our fears as well. Mm, I can talk about that today. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Unfortunately, yes. So what, I mean, when you just sat down to do it, you just started putting it up. And what was that sort of, was it because it wasn't coming together as a book that you decided to just go ahead and put it online as its own animal? Cause I'm sure a lot of people who are listening, we have a lot of writers. We have a lot of publishers. We have a lot of people who have, you know, maybe one story to tell Rochelle. Mm-hmm. And so how would they know whether that's the direction they should take and, and how would they, you, can you monetize? Um, can you monetize it when you put it on the web or then it's just open, And it's for free to everybody.
1: Well, I decided not to monetize it. Let me take your last question first. Uh, I just wanted to go on the record because I wanted to tell my story from my perspective because my story has been written about a couple of, you know, in in news media at various times. And so I wanted it to come from my voice. And for me, that was the important thing. My, My thought is that if anybody wanted to, Hear from me or learn something from me that was important enough to uh, be paid for for some reason that would that would be I would I would move forward with that. But as far as my own story was concerned, I just wanted to put it out there with the idea that I've been I've worked in a lot of places. I've learned a lot from a lot of people. All of that information is in there. Um, and so if I could share it with people and make their lives uh, move more productively, that would mean a lot to me. Through the process of everything that I've ever did, I learned I learned a lot about myself in the process of writing this thing. And I uh, realized that what I want more than anything is better outcomes for more people on the planet, whatever the issue is. Yeah. That's where my heart is, yeah. Um, and and so if I can make that happen, I I, I will happily be engaged in it. I, I'm in a fortunate spot. I I live in a a very lovely neighborhood. I have good family, uh, relatively fine health all around us, and so it's a blessing. And so why not share that with other people? Right. And I've learned so much from so many, I've had so many wonderful people uh,
0: support me uh, in my life that I just, just want to pass it on. No, it's great. So let's talk, since this is all about reinvention and you, I mean, you just are like the queen of reinvention. You just (laughs) roll from one thing to the other. Do you think, that was just baked into your personality i mean because i I, i'm looking at i didn't even know all the disparate things that you did you went you know going from magazines to calvin to i mean they're when i hear people talking about reinventing today people are worried about you know they don't have the the right list of um requirements in order to make that switch or They don't feel, it feels like there's more barriers today than before, or is that just in people's minds that there seems to be more barriers? Because you're really moving back and forth, or in the time when you were younger, did you feel there were barriers and you were afraid of making these moves and you just jumped into them? Are you fearless? No, I am
1: very fearful, Um, (laughs) and in spite of all my fears... Uh, I I try to push through. I do believe that there are more barriers today. I think you think so. I do okay. because of the algorithm craziness when you submit any information about yourself. The fact that you have to now look at keywords to be to even get a date, uh, I think, is a really uh, difficult situation in many jobs. Not all jobs, but when I think of business, um, I think of it business is ultimately human and if you can my my sense of the whole thing and remember every person is unique my my feeling is that if you could show up and allow the person you're meeting with to be who they are if you can walk into the room if you could present yourself on a zoom as somebody who is interested in meeting the person on the other side of the screen or face to face. I think that you have a you have a good option. Um, it's like even if you're wearing a mask, you could smile with your eyes. Even if it's a phone call, the mood in your voice can be welcoming. I think that those are the I think the human signals are really important to get over this whole algorithm insanity, and to really do do the inventory of all of the stuff that you're good at. Um, you know, there no one's going to hire me to code their website. I mean, I don't think that should ever happen, but they would hire me to help them think about strategically, where do they want to go, and how they want to present themselves. So, I think about what are are your strengths and making a list of those strengths are really important in terms of how you want to represent yourself. I think over time, I've learned an awful lot about, you know, myself and knowing more about myself has led me to the point of being a more participant in the world. Um, I feel stronger just being out there and also admitting that I don't know something is really important. If I'm willing to learn it, great. If I'm not willing to learn it, I have to figure out how to pay for it and make the money to do so.
0: What was your scariest transition you ever did? Was there Um, one that you were thinking like, "Uh uh-oh, like I went too far here? Um, Maybe um a lot of them actually
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, give us one <laughs> when i think about starting the digital company for condi nest which is over 30 years ago i started condi net
0: i remember that that was so long ago yeah so I,
1: I was an aol.com user i still am today um, and I figured maybe the vintage of that will prove to be interesting to someone. But I was I was sitting on the floor in my house preparing uh, recipes for Thanksgiving and couldn't, for the life of me, we were having a ton of people. How do I cook two turkeys in this oven with all this stuffing? And I went on the AOL Talk Turkey hotline and and within minutes, 20 people told me I could use my outdoor grill. And so, I realized the strength of the community online and the information online. And that was the beginning for me, but I knew nothing about uh, digitizing anything. And I had to learn an awful lot. And so, I reached out to people and started a lot of conversations about how do you do this? How do you get started? Um, I was responsible. I was given a sum of money a a handsome sum of money to start that business. And I had to be responsible for that. Um, And those were the days when there were radio signals that transmitted your information digitally. And it was messy and terrible and scary. I would, you know, there were nights I couldn't sleep. So, but it happened and I'm very proud of being able to have started that then.
0: How did you convince? Now, you know, like that's the the thing is how do you convince people to try something new? There's so much resistance. Did you just have such a long track record that they were game to let you give it a try? Uh,
1: I I found myself in a good place. A good place and a not so good place. Uh, At that time, the Condé Nast company, which is part of a a publishing umbrella underneath Advance, uh, which is the parent, they had heard this is going back a long time. They had heard of this thing called new media. So So hilarious. I can't even believe it. (laughs) They were interested in hearing more about new media. Uh, and I was very interested in learning more about new media, even though I didn't understand how it happened. But I did understand that people wanted to communicate with each other. And we had so much information out there that I realized the importance of being a good editor. And that's something you realize. You know, I think the world needs great editors
0: um today, and- yes, because there's just so the onslaught of info is too much for anybody. Too-
1: too much. You need a trusted editor to say, "Listen, don't look there. Look here. This will give you the right. This is a good way to think about it." Um, and, and so, if those, if there could be a marriage between a company that knows how to edit stuff and the digital world, that would be great. And so we, um, so I was game. And I think their fears. I was the person who was like the front line of fear. I was willing to meet the fears of the entire company to be able to do that, and we became a gang of four. There was someone from the book division, there was someone from the newspaper division. At that time, uh, advanced publications had an interest in television. Um, They had a small interest uh, in cable. And I represented the magazine group and we marched together and we met Bill Gates and we met Mark Andreessen, who started Netscape. And we and this was all new. This is all brand new out there. And no one knew what they were doing. Uh, but we we decided to learn all about this. And so recommendations were made. To be perfectly honest, I started with one budget and it was cut almost immediately when I started building the business. But it was it wasn't cut so far that it we we were able to start and the f- purpose of epicurious which we started with was because we had the rights to recipes we didn't have a right the rights to a lot of media but we did have the rights to recipes so i was able to use those recipes and in the process of using those recipes people who were watching epicurious wanted to uh contribute their own recipes so we had a sharing of the audience recipes as well as the company's recipes and that's how it was that was how epicurious was built but epicurious's original plan was a brand for people who love to eat and it included a video component a recipe component a shopping component the way you have um uh, 52 is now you could buy pots. Oh, yeah. I love food. fifty-two. Yep. Yep. But that but that was part of the original plan 30 years ago. Wow. So, yes, I did start it. Yes, it was scary. And yes, it wasn't all it could be.
0: Did you have any outright failures, Rochelle, that you had to walk away from? Changes that you thought you could do and it, it just didn't work out? Um not well in
1: epicurious i was hoping it could be more robust when it began but um that wasn't meant to be just given the sort of mindset of the company it came out of which was an ink on paper company so for for that the the other thing is there have been times when i have felt i couldn't be heard uh, and they were very painful times. I was uh, worked for a fashion company at one point. It was a retail company. And this was maybe 10 years ago. And you could see the writing on the wall that more business was going to be done online than it was on bricks and mortar. And for some reason, this company, because of its board, decided to open more stores, which I thought was not a sound idea. But I was, you know, what it what I said wasn't as powerful as the board's recommendation to open more stores, and they, unfortunately, they lost a lot of money. And for me, the ability to not be heard uh, uh, was painful. Uh, I have to, I have to say, and it happens from time to time. What do you uh,
0: what do you do when that happens? Because I know a lot of women feel that just overall.
1: Uh, well, you feel quite invisible and and really marginalized, and it's a terrible feeling. I usually cry. I usually eat a lot of ice cream, um, but I try to cut it as short as possible and look in the mirror and try to rem- try to you know look at my children and think about better things and future things and try to understand why it didn't happen. Um and it's less because I couldn't be heard and more because the voices were uh more powerful in more powerful positions to make other things to make something else happen. So I tried to what I call it, I call it a post mortem after something happens, um to actually deconstruct what literally happened from all perspectives so that I have a better sense of um, the outcome without uh, making myself a victim because I don't want to be in a victim position.
0: Yeah, that doesn't help anybody. So as mm. as we pull to a close, um, what, what our listeners really want to know, Rochelle, is if they're Moving from thing to thing to thing like this today, what are your, you know, top three sort of how to's that you would tell them that you've learned uh, over all this time? What are the, the, you know, tips and tricks we try to get at for being successful at this?
1: I think one very important thing if you're working with a couple of people is to make sure you all have the same goal that you all are on the same page about what you're doing. You may have differences about how you want to get there, and that's a good and useful conversation, but I would say absolutely make sure and check in every now and then to make sure everybody is working together with the same sense of purpose. I think that's a really important thing. The second thing I think that's also important is whatever it is you're doing, if you could put a name on it in a few words, I blah, 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 or this is the name of the project. If you could name it, you have a better chance of selling that idea or that project. So give it a name that's clear, resonant, so people could grab a hold of it and they could repeat it to other people. Then when you... Go to make a pitch for that idea, uh, it's already in someone's mind. You've imprinted it to a certain degree. And I've always found that to be useful. Uh, Another thing that I think is that everybody that you engage with actually wants to be heard and they want to be recognized. Now, I sometimes get overly zealous and enthusiastic, uh, but I have to constantly remember who I'm talking to and the fact that they need. You can't put them in the corner. You've got to let them come out and be with you. So always remember to recognize and listen to the people you are talking to. And the other thing is that if they're angry people, they can't hear you. If they're upset for some reason, find another time, got to de-escalate a situation. And the last thing, you know, there's a, there are a lot of things, but I, I would say, If you could measure what you're doing and give quantitative, as well as the, you know, the quality of what you're doing, but the quantity, the profitability, um, the outcomes, projected high, low outcomes of what you're doing, that would be really useful.
0: Awesome. Incredible. (laughs) Rochelle, so wonderful to speak to you. Where can everybody find you and where can they find Adventures of the Baker's Daughter? Well, if you
1: go to RochelleUdell, one word, dot com, uh, you'll see it as it comes up, it'll say Adventures of the Baker's Daughter, and you'll be right there. And if you go into the uh, Manolo Blahnik section, you'll find a lot of business advice.
0: Ooh, fantastic. And can they go? Can they just pull up Adventures of Absolutely. the Baker's Daughter dot com, right? Uh,
1: I, yeah, they could do, go to Adventures or they could easy go to RochelleUdell.com. It'll come right up. Adventures are- comes right up.
0: And are you on Facebook and on Instagram yep. or anything like I am that? Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And Fabulous. everybody's welcome. Wonderful. Rochelle, this has been such a treat. Thank you so much for your time. I so appreciate it.
1: You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure being with you. Great to see you and and, uh, and good luck, everyone.
0: So thank you all for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope that you will be inspired that about with all that Rochelle has done and I hope that you will follow her advice and go ahead and reinvent yourself. It's nothing to be afraid of. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please go to Apple podcasts and give us a, uh, give us a five-star review, share it with friends who are trying to reinvent themselves. And mosey on over to to uh, CoveyClub.com, where you will find tons and tons of reinvention advice and how-tos and essays, everything you need, downloads to get yourself started. There is no reason not to reinvent yourself, but I will tell you it is easier to do in a group than it is to do alone. And if you're super serious about it, come join the fabulous women of Covey Club who are doing it all together. And we support each other and we teach each other and we hold each other up as we go through this tough moment of reinvention. It is not for sissies, but it can be done as you can see from Michelle. So thank you again and I'll see you next time.